Right, Trinity Church, how you doing today? Good to see you. You are staying alive and kicking, even in the midst of humidity, which we don't usually understand, right? This is not our thing. We can often, in our part of Southern California, say, well, at least it's a dry heat. Today, we can't even say that, so it's just kind of that thing. We're really glad you made it to this. Thanks for coming out, especially in that kind of ugh, and uh, we're really glad you're here. You catch us on week four of a series called Faith Steps, and what we're doing this summer is we are walking through a sequence of looking at biblical narratives where people trusted God for things that we very much can relate to. And our hope is this. Our hope is that we would stop admiring other people's faith, other people's trust in God, and let it stop there. It's good to admire their faith. It's good to admire the times when they have trusted God for very significant things. But that's always meant to be an example to us that in turn, we might also entrust ourselves to God for the very thing we're staring at today. And that's our hope throughout this series because we know you're staring at things today. You're staring at challenges that you face. You're staring at fork in the road, kind of decisions you have to make. And when God clearly says, go this way, even though it looks really scary, Will you trust him? I love this subtitle for the series, Growing Your Confidence in God. I think that's a great way of describing what faith is, a growing confidence in him. So we're really glad you're here today. In your worship folder, you have a set of notes that look like this, if you want to get those out. Those will help you uh, track with us. I'm actually really glad to be here today. It almost didn't happen. I was up at Forest Home uh, this week with uh, family camp. It's the last time we're there this summer. It's a great week. And Thursday was just a challenging day. Had a few things happen back down here at our home and with a car. And it was just like, ah. And I couldn't leave the camp for my responsibility. So it was just a challenging afternoon. And um, later on that night, we're kind of finishing up the day. I'm exhausted. And I go into the bathroom to change my clothes. And as I do, I'd shut the door, obviously. And I I go to, to open the door, and it won't open. And the door just, the knob just keeps spinning, but the thing that goes inside and locks it from the the door jam was not retracting and going back. So I'm sitting there literally spinning the door, and I'm like, Joanna, I should end this way, Joanna, and, um, you know, come and help, and then just, we couldn't get the door open. So fortunately, I was sitting there, and literally I got to this point, I'd had that kind of a day, I just started to chuckle. You either laugh or cry at that moment, right? You've had those days where you're just like, there's not much else to do right now. So there I am sitting in my pajamas, and these two guys I thank the Lord for from accommodations, literally within five minutes were there, and uh, felt like they were breaking the door down, but I didn't care. I just wanted out. So <laughs> it's a good thing, and I've lived to tell about it, and I'm here to t- talk to you today. So good stuff. Well, let's dive in. We're, we're looking today in this sequence, in this narrative, we're looking at, to me, one of my favorite biblical characters, uh, a wonderful, uh, trusting, faith-filled woman named Ruth. And if you have a Bible today, you can open it to there. Ruth actually happens in the time of the Judges. So if you have your former Testament, your Old Testament, if you go Joshua, Judges, Ruth, it makes sense that Ruth sits right next to Judges because that's the historical time period in which it happens. And what we're going to do today is we look at her life. We're going to see some things that to me are very, very powerful principles that we really should look to engage and in a in like way, not just again be impressed by. I really want to keep pushing on this. So many times we come to church and we are interested in things, but we're not changed. We're not taking something from what we're hearing and engaging in today and going to do something in our lives. And that's problematic because what did we learn in the book of James? Don't just be hearers of the word, but what? 
be doers thereof. And so that's what we want to keep pushing on is we don't just want to be interested by the Bible. We want to be putting this into motion in our lives. And as we walk through this narrative today, you will definitely be assured this applies to something you're going through. No doubt about it. Well, we pick it up. Ruth is this character. And what we're going to learn from her life today is that she actively entrusted herself to God in such a way that she relied on him and took the appropriate steps God put before her. That's an interesting tension and a balance we're going to look at today. Here's your next step idea just to keep this as kind of due north as we walk through this today. Entrusting yourself to God for his provision includes an active particip- or par- partnership on your part. So it's kind of this both and idea. God is the one who's going to provide and you are the one who's going to take the steps he puts in front of you. And for that, we're going to see some really great examples today of Ruth. So let's start it in your notes today. Number one, begin by actively entrusting yourself to God. Begin by actively entrusting yourself to God. I was trying to think, what's a great way to kind of give a snapshot to this first chapter of Ruth to give us a historical context? And there's no better way than the Bible project. So take a look, and they'll kind of set us up and where we're at today. The Book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies. And the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. All right. So that's a great, that's a one minute, 40 seconds. There's chapter one. Bingo. You're like, Todd, I wish you were that succinct. That'd be awesome. (laughs) So, but a great way of just kind of painting a picture. Here's the historical narrative in which we find ourselves here in chapter one of Ruth. And what I want to do, I I want you to be interested, or I'm sorry, introduced to this woman, Ruth. This amazing Moabite widow, young woman, she's widowed in her own land, in her own country, but she has this mother-in-law, and this mother-in-law, Naomi, has made an impact on her. She's made an impact because when, when, when now this deep tragedy, think of Naomi, man, she's lost her husband and two sons in a foreign land. And, and it wasn't like a foreign land, like going to Canada, foreign land, okay? We're talking the sworn enemy of Israel. 
foreign land. That's where she was living and now completely unprotected. There's something about what Ruth saw in her mother-in-law's life that drew her not only to say, no, I'm going to leave my mom, I'm going to leave my dad, I'm going to leave my heritage, and I'm going to be loyal to you, and your people will become my people. Watch this even greater. Your God will become my God. Think of the power of relational credibility. That's something over the years of Ruth watching Naomi, of watching what she had, of watching the way that she had given herself to Yahweh. She's drawn to want to make the same decision. That all comes from relational credibility that she had doing life with her mother-in-law. Here's the interesting thing. That isn't just for years ago, ancient times. It's for today. Today, the way that God wants to use you powerfully in the lives of your relational world, the people you do life with, the people that live under your same roof. In the, in the lives of your family members, God is still doing that today. And some of you would say, well, I don't know. I see it in, in the story of Ruth. I don't know if I see it much today. Well, let's just ask the question. Do this for me. If one of the main people, let's say the main influencer in helping you come to the point where you realize you needed to follow Jesus as your Savior, if the main influencer was someone who was from your own family, raise your hand. Look around the room. That's like a third of us would say, hey, the main person God used to help me realize who Jesus was and why I should follow him was a parent, was a brother, a sister, a child. However God wanted to do that, God uses family members to help other family members recognize how great he is. And that's the story of Ruth and Naomi from the very beginning. When you see this idea and you see Ruth's faith in Yahweh, realize today, remember what we said in your point, she actively entrusted herself to God. She didn't just say, I have theological ideas. She didn't just say, I have a belief system that's in this realm of theory, what'd she do? She strapped on her sandals, put a bag on her back, and followed Naomi back to Israel. That's actively entrusting yourself to God. Your God will be my God. Chapter one, number two in your notes today, pursue God-honoring opportunities. Pursue God-honoring opportunities. What we're gonna look at today, we are gonna live a little bit in this tension of two ideas, where sometimes we really like to live in poles. We like to say, it's all God or it's all me in certain situations, and I rarely see that. Once in a while, I've seen things where I just go, God, it's so clearly the way that you have so sovereignly and without really any response connected dots and aligned something. But often God wants to pull you and I into a partnership with him that we would make decisions based on the way he's saying, follow me, follow my design. This is what obedience looks like. And that's the world that Ruth happens in. Follow or pursue God-honoring opportunities. Here's how chapter two of Ruth begins. These two widows are now returning to the realities of what it meant to be destitute in the time of the judges. They return as one of them as a bitter, husbandless, childless traitor. Watch that sequence. Bitter. She even said, call me Mara. Call me Mara. I have had so much tragedy in my life. You better even just name, rename the way you talk about me. 
rename the way you think of me, go from my name to something that was so obviously rich with a sense of failure and frustration. It literally means bitter. Call me bitterness. I want to throw something out to you today. Some of you, as we walk through this narrative today of Ruth and Naomi, you are going to track more with the Naomi part of the narrative than you will with the Ruth. Because even as we begin to talk about a life marked or defined by bitterness, you're realizing very quickly we're somehow talking about you today. It's not my intent, just talking through a biblical narrative. But you would realize, man, God, there has been so much tragedy in my life. Places where I thought you'd show up. Places where I thought you'd intervene. Places where I thought you would deliver and you haven't. You might as well call me Mara too. And I want to put out to you from the very beginning today, if you would just be honest enough to look in the mirror and say, that's who I really kind of align with more today. I, I really want to ask you to hear this narrative today with brand new ears and see it with new eyes. Because watch this, just as much as Naomi had, had kind of sunk into a, 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 this downward spiral of bitterness, I don't know why Ruth couldn't have claimed the same problem. Young woman, a young husband, dies. She is now destitute in her own land, but it's going to make it even worse by going to someone else's land. There was no social security in Israel. There was no simple just kind of government welfare system just to bank on. This was going to be a significant challenge. And Naomi told her from the very beginning, even tried to push her back, but she decided, no, I'm going to go. How is it that Naomi wants to be known as bitter, but Ruth, this foreign widow, keeps saying, God, I'm going to just keep taking steps towards what you have for me. Get a little bit of the context as well. Maybe you missed the drama in the first part of the video. The only thing I could liken it to, and this is still a far way off because for a lot of us, we didn't even live in this era. But think of it this way. Japan goes to war with the United States in 1941. Imagine as the war is going on, it's not gonna be until later on that, that um, there's gonna be a surrender. But imagine it's 1943. You live in Los Angeles. It's hard to find work. And for whatever reason, it's hard to even believe this could have even happened. But you move to Tokyo. You, your husband, and your two sons, you move to Tokyo to find better work, better opportunity. You move literally to the land of the enemy. Things don't work out for you. You actually lose it all, and you come back now as a widow, childless, to live in the United States. Oh, by the way, with a Japanese daughter-in-law. Not a ticker tape parade when you come home. Because that's what it must have been like for Naomi to be received back into Israel was you left when it was hard. And of all the places on the planet you could have gone, you went to Moab and then took a Moabite daughter-in-law, brought her back with you. You must be kidding. That's the context they're coming to. Now, God did put some measures in place. I told you a minute ago, they didn't have social security or these um, kind of structures we might have today, but God did actually do a couple things very thoughtfully and way in advance before Ruth ever got back to Israel with Naomi. Look at some of the measures he puts. Your Bibles are open to Ruth chapter two, beginning in verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. 
Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Watch this phrase. As it turned out. We're going to see God's providential care over Ruth today. As it turned out, she was working in a field that happened to belong to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, what had God done? God actually had put in place a system. He'd given it to the people, and he had said, hey, this is what you do. When it's harvest season, you take your workers, and you go through your fields once. Don't go back again. Don't glean the edges. Don't harvest the edges. Leave that, because there's a group of people who have no land, who have no way of providing for themselves. That will be theirs. Here it is. You don't have to turn there, but look on the screen. Leviticus 23, 22 When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am Yahweh, your God. Interesting, the people groups that are defined that the gleanings were left for. The poor, namely a widow and childless woman named Naomi, and the foreigner, a woman, a widow named Ruth. It was exactly for them that God had put this in advance. And by the way, Leviticus is the third book in the Bible. This is the law given before they even get in the land. God's already telling them this is how it's going to go. This is generations later from when it was written. This is actually now going to make sense and be helpful for people who needed help. In essence, in this case, the leftovers were for the poor and the foreigner residing among them. So Ruth went to work to engage the welfare system that God had established for her and for her mother-in-law. And it was out of this resourcefulness. It was out of this responsibility. She's like, it's there in front of me. It's an opportunity. I'm going to take it. It's a God-honoring resource standing in front of me. I'm going to do it. But God led her to more than dinner that night, but began to provide a means for her future You're in Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. But then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. And they said in return, the Lord bless you. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? So here he is. He walks in from Bethlehem, sees his field. First things, the Lord be with you. They say back, the Lord bless you. Who's that pretty girl? (laughs) It's like that fast. That exchange is going on that fast. Hey, it's great to see you. Who is she? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite. So right there, I mean, we read right over this stuff, but right there, she's the Moabite. She is from our sworn enemy's land. She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi, and he would be familiar with Naomi's name, was familiar with the fact that her old family probably left to Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the fields and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Okay? So first statement, hey, Who's that pretty one? Second statement, don't touch her. Don't touch. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. By the way, he didn't say that to everyone who was in this position like Ruth. He's giving her special treatment. He is caring for her in a very unique way. 
I've been told, and watch this now, down to verse 11. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Watch this line. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So see the scenario. She just happened to go glean at the field where Boaz, that Boaz owned. Seems very coincidental to me. As we unwrap the rest of the narrative, you're going to see not coincidental at all. God is uniquely setting things in front of her. But watch, she took the initiative that morning to go into the fields. She didn't sit on the couch and say, where is this going to be provided for, God? Where are you going to just drop this into my lap? And that's what we face so many times. We tend to live in the extremes. We either say, I'm going to rack my brain. I'm going to go do everything I can to meet this need on my own. Oh, and if it doesn't work, I might pray. Or conversely, we go, God, you're the only one who can supply this, and I'm going to sit on the couch until you do. We put ourselves in these extreme positions when the story of Ruth says no. We begin by saying, God, I have fully entrusted myself to you. God, I know I am needy and dependent. And God, the very first opportunity you put in front of me that looks like it's from you, that's God honoring, I'm going to step into it. That's this wonderful tension that the narrative of Ruth teaches us. We see this guy, Boaz, he's wealthy, a Jewish landowner, and he's in good standing in his community. He looks like he's a great boss. He's a good guy, and she happened to land in his field that day. And he begins to develop an interest in this foreign woman, this Ruth. Don't you love, I loved at the end of that, the way he talks to her. He, he affirms her faith. He affirms her confidence in a foreign, to her, a foreign God in Yahweh to come here. And he says, may God bless you. May God richly reward you. Watch, because you have found yourself, you've taken refuge under his wings. You and I get that word picture. Whether it's because you lived on a farm and you saw chickens, or whether you have been around and you've seen ducks and ducklings going across the road, you get this idea that when, when babies need shelter, when babies are afraid, when babies don't know how to care for themselves, Mama Bird puts out those wings and pulls them in tight and says, you're okay. I've got you. Ruth had said to a God she had barely known, would you extend your wings and I will come in underneath you and find refuge because I am entrusting my welfare to you. Here's a simple question for you today. For the times in the past when you were in a perilous situation concerning your needs being met, and by the way, it would be ludicrous for me to think that most every one of us has at least one or more of those stories. God, how are you going to provide? God, how is this need going to be met? God, where is the provision for this thing I'm staring at? You've had those experiences. What about the ones for the, that you're staring at today? You walked in here today, you had no idea we were talking about how God is going to provide for your needs. And as soon as you sat down, you saw this sermon title, you thought, whoa, how did he know? I didn't. And what you're going through, but God sure does. For the pressures that you're staring at today, for the future times that you will face about the challenges that are going to be met, here's a simple question I have for you. Have you, are you, will you look 
to God, look to Naomi's God to be your refuge as you hide under his protective wings. She's a beautiful example for us of someone who said, God, I have to entrust myself to you. I have nowhere else to go. Day one ended pretty well for Ruth. She comes back to her mother-in-law, chapter two, verse 19. Her mother-in-law said, I'm sorry, asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Meaning she came back like full, like she got a lot of stuff from her day. And it says, then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Meaning that this living sector of Elimelech's family, his wife and his daughter-in-law, he is showing kindness to them, but also to those who've gone on before. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now that causes you to pause. Guardian redeemer. Another familiar term that may be a little more familiar is the word kinsman redeemer. For those of us who maybe been in church a while and heard some of these terms. This kinsman redeemer, what is this and how does this work? Well, this is another piece that God had put in the, in the, in the way. In the same way that God said, when there are these fields, go over them one time and don't go back. Don't go for a second loop. Leave those for people who have no means to care for themselves. Give them the option to work with their own hands. Then secondly, for an Israelite who was struggling, who was very much in a destitute position, God built into their structure, built into their system, a way that they would provide for one another from their own clans, from their own families, from their own tribes. In your notes, the definition of a kinsman redeemer, it's a legal term for one who has an, the obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. That's found also in the book of Leviticus. Chapter 25 is where that's expanded. Here's what I want you to see. For those of you who have been reading in your Bible at times, especially in the former covenant, and especially when you hit books like Leviticus, right? I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm really having problems with insomnia, that's tend to where I open up. I mean, it is challenging. I'm reading about stuff this way. I'm thinking you are too. I just don't care. God, I, I don't care how, how, how to put a stone to mark his property from his. I don't care about a sacrificial system. I don't engage. I don't care about the way that a priest was to dress. None of these things seem like they intersect my life and therefore I detach. But watch this. And by the way, that's a foolish view. I'm not saying that to my credit. Now, that's a good way to think. I'm just saying that's how I often think. But watch this. Where the law, sometimes when we think of the law, it's the first five books of the Old Testament, we usually kind of, in a weird way, we just see the spiritual aspect of the law. And the law was very much a spiritual document. But watch this. The law was also meant to say, this is how you live and treat each other. This is how you do life. We have a legal body that of how we treat and live among each other here in the United States of America. We have a law. And in the same way, some of you like me, you don't read legalese. And so you just kind of start taking out a law and you're like, I read the first two sentences and then I fell asleep. I can't figure this stuff out. You do the same thing with Leviticus, but watch this. The story of Ruth takes this very kind of like stale looking text from Leviticus and it brings it to life. It makes it real. It puts flesh on it. Because had God not included a system where they would have gone through the fields and decimated everything, cleaned it all up, there's nothing for Ruth to glean. 
Had God not created a system that when someone among a family in Israel would be destitute, there would be some who would be about redeeming them, buying back their debt, and including them in right standing, Ruth and Naomi would be lost. God takes a very, what could seem a very stale, legal approach and makes it very real in the book of Ruth. And we, we pause and we say, God, thank you for this provision. Thank you for the ways that you've gone out of your way to provide for us. So from a close relative, rescue would come and would redeem Naomi and her foreign daughter-in-law, Ruth, from their, po- from their poverty. A close relative that God had provided both in the same way he had already provided a system to meet their needs. Number three in your notes today, be willing to be vulnerable. Be willing to be vulnerable. This is a challenge. Remember what we said all the way through. So often in God's provision, it's not the letter in the mail that comes unexpectedly and pays the electric bill. It happens. And you and I love to hear those stories. But then we transpose them from being descriptive to prescriptive. Just wait by the mailbox. When God says, maybe you have to do something a little vulnerable. That's the case of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor... But don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, you were reading that narrative and you were tracking really good at the beginning, right? (laughs) Naomi, this mother-in-law, now she's kind of starting to kind of put pieces together and she says, here's what you do. Get all gussied up, right? Get all clean and pretty and put on your best clothes, put on perfume, and, and you're going to go to Boaz. And, and we track with that part. We've seen it in plenty of chick flicks, right? We're good. We know what this is going. It's like, oh, that, that makes sense. And then go to where he's working. He'll be threshing. He'll be winnowing the barley. He's working hard. At the end of the day, he's going to have a meal. He's going to drink. And at the end, he's going to lie down and go to bed. And that part you're tracking with, you're still like, okay, now I'm getting a little foggy. Then it gets really weird. Right? Go to where he's lying and pull back the covers of, uh, of the sheet that he's lying under and then lay down at his feet. Well, let's ask a few questions. Number one, I really hope that Ruth doesn't have a foot thing. <laughs> a lot of you have foot things. I don't, I, no one, I don't get near feet. I don't do feet, right? Ruth has got to get over that. She's going to get near feet really well. Secondly, what about this? What about the idea that, think of it this way, and you're wondering, why this sequence? Well, if Ruth were to come, Boaz is laying on the ground, and she pulls back the sheet down by his feet, that's going to wake him up. And just think about you. You're taking a nap, and someone comes and pulls the, the sheet or the blanket off your feet. There's a draft at your toes. You're like, what's going on? I was comfy, now I'm not, right? So she's actually doing something to get his attention, but watch this. Where is she at? She's down in a position of humility. She she pulls up next to his feet in this very servant-like position. And, And in doing so, remember the last part of what Naomi said, he will know what to do. This actually was very appropriate for this kind of request of saying, would you please be our kinsman redeemer? 
She was making a request. In our culture, it doesn't translate well. We don't understand what's happening. But in, in this culture, in the time of the judges, when she comes down, pulls back the, the covers over his feet and lies at his feet, this is code for she's asking him to do something for her, asking him to redeem her and Naomi and buy them back. And understand it, he does. He totally gets what's happening and he responds to her in a minute. We'll see what that is. Here's the thing I want you to see. Think of the vulnerability that Ruth had to embrace to do this. Number one, there was some humility for sure to come in and just lie down next to any man's feet. Ugh, that's gross. But then on top of it, to be able to say, watch this, she could do everything right, all prettied up, lies down his feet, and, and, and then now he knows what she's expecting. He could have easily said no. She had no idea of what his answer was going to be. And watch this. Even logistically, he could have bowed out because what we're going to find in a minute is he wasn't the closest relative. Of all the people that could redeem them, it actually had to begin with the person closest. We'll call that guy Larry. Larry had the option to redeem Ruth and Naomi first. Boaz was one set removed from that. He could have just said, I'm not the guy. I mean, this is really nice and all, but Larry's the guy who actually gets to buy you back. These were all things that she could not have known what was going to happen. But like you, when you have stepped out into a vulnerable place, you've done it for two reasons. She had the same two. Number one, she really seemed to understand this is what God's next step for her was. It really seemed as though in God's design, you're going to have to step out in faith, but this is the step. And number two, she realized there was so much waiting on the line. So much that this was, was all going to impact that she had to at least try. You've made similar decisions. You said, God, there are some real challenges I'm facing. And it's awesome if you want to put the check in the mail. But if you don't, I really believe you set in front of me one or two or whatever, how many steps you've set before me, a step that I have to act on. I have to step forward. And it's going to be a vulnerable place. Because I'm going to have to tell someone I have a need. I'm going to have to fill out some form that says, I'm not able to do this on my own. That's humiliating and humbling and vulnerable all at once. But you do it for those same two reasons. God, I believe this is a means you have put in front of me. I don't know if it's all going to go well, but I know I've got to try. The stakes are too high to simply let it pass. I can easily just stop here, stop and think. I can easily count a three or four of those things I've done in my lifetime. Where I've had to go to a person or I've had to go to some institution, I've had to say, please. It's humbling and intensely vulnerable. And of those three or four that come to my mind, two of them were no's. So please don't hear me saying today that if you will take a vulnerable action step that God always says yes. No, he doesn't. But watch this. But that doesn't mean that when God sets before you a vulnerable step that you don't take the next one. What had Ruth already done? She had already said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I am actively entrusting myself to you because I'm strapping on my sandals and I'm walking to Israel. I believe 
that your God is who he says he is. You have this amazing opportunity when you hit those forks in the road to say, God, I believe this is a vulnerable step, but it's a step that I believe at least I need to try. And I'm going to step out in faith and see what you do. Ruth had no idea how the story was going to go, but she stepped out. Boaz, when he sees this demonstration in front of him, he actually responds very enthusiastically. He says, yes. And actually, it would say, as soon as the sun comes up, I'm going to act on this. But watch this. Even for Boaz, his next step was something he couldn't control. It would be dependent on the action of someone else. Number four in your notes today, don't try to steer the process God is using. Don't try to steer the process that God is using. See what we said a minute ago, because Boaz wasn't first in line in that kind of system that God had ordained, he was after Larry, okay? Larry got first shot, so literally sun goes up in the morning, Boaz is out in the city square looking for Larry. Hey, Larry, Larry, I've been looking for you. Larry's like, oh, what's going on? I haven't had my coffee yet. I know, I know, I know. We got to talk. And as they have this conversation, he's all about it. He's like, hey. And he's really kind of a little bit, when you read Ruth 4, he's a little pushy. He's like, hey, Ruth and Naomi, they put themselves in a position by coming back here. They're destitute. They need to be redeemed. Are you going to do it or not? Larry's like, I still haven't had my coffee. He's like, I don't care. Are you going to do it or not? And he's like, uh. And after a conversation, he's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, bingo, done. Now, now when you think about that whole thing going on, And you're Ruth. Before the answer comes out about what Larry's going to do, you're over here and you're watching this conversation going, you're Ruth. Think about what Ruth could have done. For many of us, if we're Ruth, what have we done? Well, we actually got up before Boaz did, and we went and found Larry. And we said, Larry, here's the deal. This guy Boaz is going to come to you and talk to you about me and my mother-in-law. You don't want us. Okay? We're scary people, you know? (laughs) Whatever you do, you want to say no, and you want to let Boaz, because I think he's really cute, and I'd like to be his wife. That'd be great. But you don't tell him that, because you're just trying to get Larry to kind of sign off and be done with it. That's what we tend to do. We tend to, what I call, we tend to put our hands in it. We're going to manipulate the situation to try to control what we want. Or another thing she could have done, she could have gone to Boaz. Even before Boaz went to Ruth, said, Boaz, 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 Boaz. All of your powers of pers- persuasion, you've got to use them today. I just really want to be your wife, and I think it'd be so good to live a life to be yours. That's another form of manipulation. He already said what he was going to do. As soon as the sun goes up, I'm going to go take care of this. What did Ruth do? She didn't do option A. She didn't do option B. She did option C. She waited and watched and prayed. Last week, we talked about this powerful narrative where the people of Israel walked through the Jordan River on dry ground, and on the other side, they took a rock from the middle of that riverbed, and they set up a stack of rocks to commemorate what God had done. I want to tell you something. By the way, I'm looking in the mirror when I'm talking about this. This is so easy for me to do, but here's the point. If you would said, maybe last week you heard they said, Todd, I don't really have that many stacks of rocks. I don't really have those things, these monuments to God's power and provision in my life. Let me say, maybe the biggest reason that you don't is you keep putting your hands in the process. You keep trying to manipulate and control for things to go a certain way. And guess what? As long as you keep doing that, God never gets to show up. At least not the way he would have. If you would have said, God... This is a situation I'm going to let you have your way. I'm going to let you lead it. 
I'll follow. When you keep putting your hands in situations, you don't get stacks of rocks. Hands in a situation in terms of manipulating, in terms of trying to control, and I get it, it's super scary. I've been there too. And if you have, if you're relating to what I'm saying right now, simple question, how's that worked for you in the past? You're like, oh, I pretty much screwed up most opportunities. Most things that God was going to do, I got in there and I tried to do it and I made a mess of it. Yep. Instead of saying, God, there are processes you put in place. I'm two steps removed. I can't control Larry. I can't control Boaz. I'm just going to pray that you're going to put me in the right position. Larry opts out. Larry says, nope, I don't want anything to do with this woman and her crazy mother-in-law. So instead... Ruth chapter 4, verse 9, this is where we pick it up. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. He's literally quoting the law. That's what Leviticus said. That was what the purpose of this was available for. Today, you are witnesses. You are hearing it. You're seeing it. This is happening. She's coming home with me. Here's the part I don't want you to miss today. As Ruth watched God provide for her, as Ruth watched God use Boaz to provide for her, there were so many active steps along the way. But at some time, she just simply had to say, I'm not going to mess with what's happening. I'm going to let the process play itself out. That's a biblical wisdom. That's a life wisdom you begin to learn to say, this is how this works. I've got to let God do what he wants to do and work his way. You see, Ruth would not only be brought into Boaz's household as his wife, she would not only be able to have a family of her own, but she would become the great-grandmother of King David, Israel's second king, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. A great-grandmother, most likely she never even met him. But she was a part of that line, and watch this, even far better than being a part of David's line. That's the line Jesus would come from. Jesus' lineage includes a widowed Moabite woman who entrusted herself to God and let God do something for her. Not bad. Not bad for a destitute widow in a foreign land. And what I want to finish today is this. I don't know if you saw this at all today. I don't know if this was kind of right at the top of the surface or if we have to look a little bit, but Jesus is all over this story. Jesus is all over the narrative of Ruth, especially in this phrase we talked about, the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer. That's a foreshadow of what Jesus has done for us. Look in your notes. Ruth recognized her need very early in the narrative. She was a widow, a foreigner, and, and destitute in an enemy nation. That's where we begin. We begin by a recognition, by admitting that we are in a place of spiritual poverty and we need rescue and we need saving. We find ourselves, as the characters go, find yourself in the person of Ruth, and we're going to find Jesus in the person of Boaz and see where their stories collide. Ruth is very much aware of her poverty. We, in admitting ourselves, our sin, we are very much aware of our spiritual poverty. Ruth appeals to Boaz for rescue. Her actions communicate both a recognition of her need as well as the ability for Boaz to intervene and save. 
What does that look like for us? Well, we appeal to Jesus for his forgiveness and his rescue by believing. By believing that he's the only savior available. He is one who's from our clan. He's from our family. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus, our brother. Don't think spiritually brother like brother and sister in the family of God. Don't think that way. Think literally he was made one of us. He is our brother who came to redeem us. And thirdly, Ruth entrusted herself to Boaz's care and followed his lead as she was included in his family. What do we do? We choose to follow Jesus' example as we've also been included into his family. The gospel is all over the story of Ruth. And my prayer to you today is that you would not leave here knowing something interesting about a biblical story. I say that's a fail for today. Instead, that you would actively trust God for the needs that you face. And if you haven't yet acted on your spiritual poverty, my total plea to you today would don't leave here without making a decision to follow this Jesus. What's our next step this week? Entrusting yourself to God for his provision includes an active partnership on your part. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people just um, encouraged, a people, God, who uh, we see this story of Ruth and all on the pages, God, we see ourselves. We see the ways that we have struggled before in entrusting ourselves to you. We even maybe see ourselves in the story of Naomi. Even if we're honest today, just here, literally just bitter. Someone like Ruth who faced multiple opportunities to choose to trust you or not. God, we know what it's like to not trust you. We've also known some times where we haven't. And when we have, we keep developing these stacks of rocks. These testaments to your power and your provision for us. And so God, over this narrative today, we say thank you. And God, what we really appreciate most is how the gospel is thick through this narrative of Ruth. How Jesus truly is our kinsman redeemer. And you can respond today to your spiritual poverty by A, admitting. Admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believing. Believing that Jesus is the only savior available because he lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. And C, then choosing. Choosing to say, Jesus, you are who can make me right with the creator of the universe. I want to now follow your steps and walk your way. You can make that decision. You can talk to God today about it. And my total plea for you is that you would. Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace lavished over us. And we pray in your name today. Amen.